for cultivating progress across the South, for working to unconditionally improve the lives of all, and for the bold underwriting of every Gravy podcast, SFA thanks our visionary Louisville, Kentucky friends, Pam and Brooke Smith. Over the next five weeks, SFA's friend Evan Stern will take to the highways, byways, and ranch-to-market roads of his native Texas. And he's taking us along. Shotgun! Whenever we can, we'll take the scenic route. Our first stop, Serban, Texas, is somewhere in the middle. If you've never heard of it, well, there's likely a good reason. The last time Serban was included in the census was over 20 years ago, when its population was 37. Yet the sign at the edge of town still proudly proclaims Serban as home of the Texas winds. That's W-E-N-D-S. I'm Melissa Hall. And I'm Sarah Camp Milam. You're listening to Gravy. 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 A production of the Southern Foodways Alliance, Gravy tells the stories of the changing American South. Evan Stern pulls into Serban to introduce us to the winds and their noodles. It is the um, mother church of all the Windish people in uh, the whole United States. They all know this is the mother place. (laughs) Texas claims nearly 30,000 congregations. All have stories. But St. Paul Lutheran, which rises on a grassy bluff in the hamlet of Serban, about an hour east of Austin, is unique. Not just because it claims the highest pulpit in Texas, but because the hands that built this pristine sandstone 1870 chapel belong to a people called the Winds whose history organist Jack Wiederholt shares with me. Well, the Winds were Slavic people, not Germanic people. They um, lived in Germany. They can also be called Sarbs. In Germany, they called themselves Sarbs. While the Windish name is well ensconced here today, Jack and others tell me it was bestowed upon them by the Germans, by way of the Romans, who intended it as a slur. An ethnic minority, mostly from the region of Lusatia, which sits just between Germany and Poland. For generations, the winds wrestled with wars, poverty, and discrimination. After they embraced confessional Lutheranism, things only got worse. In 1817, King Frederick William III merged non-Catholic faiths into a single state-regulated body. This opened the door to the jailing of pastors and closing of churches. And by the 1840s, many winds began looking abroad to pursue liberties and new opportunities. First, a modest contingent sailed for Australia, and another, following the promise of cheap farmland, went to Texas. Around um, 1853, a small group, 35 of these Windish people, Lutheran winds, came to Texas. These 35 wrote letters back to Germany and said, Texas is a paradise. Come to Texas. So um, in 1854, That group of around 600 made the decision to come to Texas. Those settlers who ranked amongst the smallest of Texas's European minorities journeyed to Galveston via a clipper called the Ben Nevis. 
Their passage was hard as cholera claimed 83 lives along the way. But having purchased 4,000 acres in land grants at the price of a dollar an acre, survivors made their way to present-day Lee County, where they named their new community Serban. I've been told Serban means the home of the Sarbs. So if that's true, that's why they called it Serban then, <laughs> and not Sarban. <laughs> For those early settlers who constituted the largest single Wendish migration to America, Serban became their central colony. Yet while still revered, Jack confesses that today it's little more than a place on a map. Serban was passed over by the railroad, after which its population scattered to nearby towns like Giddings, LaGrange, and beyond, and now the church and cemetery are most of what remain. But on the last Sunday in September, the town reawakens when nearly 2,000 descendants, friends, and family convene here for Wendish Fest, which local farmer and proud wind Becky Weissey describes to me. Wendish Fest is so much fun. They have many of the things of, of old. Cornmeal grinding sometimes, uh, lamb's wool carding and, and spinning of yarn all sorts of coffee cake contests and painting of Easter eggs. And it's, it's just a one-of-a-kind folk festival. Jack also says that isn't the only draw. Germans and Wins like to drink beer. Uh, the Windish word for beer is just like the Czech word for beer, pivo. But they're going to be drinking a lot of pivo there at the Windish Fest on Sunday. More than Pivo, there are auctions, live music from the Shiner Hobo Band, a children's pageant, and best of all, a late morning feast, which Windish Society treasurer Chris Becker and an army of volunteers are busy preparing. We have 1,100 pounds of sausage. City Meat Market in Schulenburg, Texas. It's a beef and uh, pork sausage blend. Of course, sauerkraut, you've seen the sauerkraut down there. Noodles, homemade noodles. Uh, green beans, seasoned green beans. Peaches, beets, a little German food there, homemade bread, and a couple pickles. Being of Central Texas German stock, I grew up eating meals like these at reunions outside my grandfather's hometown of Brenham, just 40 miles east of here. There, it would have been unheard of to serve a plate without potato salad. But if you were listening, you might have noticed that the site of choice in Serban are noodles. And being of Wendish heritage, Local friends Ann Bomsch and Kermit Schoutstick tell me noodles boiled in broth and butter were a must for their Sunday dinners growing up. Oh, that was fried chicken noodles? Oh, and... I was just going to say. <laughs> oh, you, you just took that out of my mouth. But it had to have noodles. It and, it, and it wasn't no, no chicken that was bought at the grocery store. No. We raised that chicken. Oh, yeah. Mom butchered that chicken. Oh, yeah. So then when she was going to make the noodles, you cooked the the paws and the neck, For the stock. and that made the stock to cook those noodles in. And that's why they were oh so good. <laughs> you don't know what you missed. <laughs> Adding to this, both Becky and Jack agree that noodles should always be served when marking life special occasions. I, my, my kids had noodles at their wedding. We had noodles at our wedding. It's just part of the celebration. When there's a wedding, Sometimes a thousand people are invited to your wedding and there's a big meal afterwards. 
And um, if you're a wind and you don't serve noodles at the wedding reception, you're not legally married. <laughs> it's that important. Interestingly enough, though, Jack informs me this practice likely wasn't brought over on the Ben Nevis, as noodles seem to have been adopted on Texas soil. I've been to Germany about eight times, and we always go to the windish area, and there are no noodles. It's a Texas thing. Why the winds adopted noodles as a staple is a mystery for some. But as a farmer, Becky assumes its origins were likely practical. I think it's about preserving of the bounty that you have. And I think that they did it because it, was, it didn't require refrigeration. It's naturally dried. Um, they, they are made by hand and then set out to dry and then bagged up and they can be used for a long time a whole year or more. And so that's one way of using eggs. You can make cakes and you can do all of your breakfasts, but making the noodles is something to do when you have an overabundance of eggs. 80-year-old Evelyn Buchhorn grew up around here doing just that. Now she learned how to make noodles from her windish mother and grandparents. You know, having chickens on the farm, sometimes you had uh, cracked eggs and so you could whip them up into noodles real quick, and that was always a staple for Sunday dinner with chicken and noodles, I think. <laughs> My grandmother and, and the mother, they taught us how to do that. Wearing her gray hair in a bun and an apron with a pin that reads trendish to be windish, Evelyn tells me her grandfather migrated here with a later wave of sorbs in the 1880s, and is at the fest today to demonstrate noodle making at a table she set up under a tent. Following her grandmother's recipe, she whisks eggs, flour, water, and salt into a dough she kneads, divides, and rolls into thin stacks that are then left to cut, fluff, and dry. Well, I try to get some brown eggs and then get five pounds of flour and get my noodle roller and I'm ready to go. <laughs> no machine or anything. I'll just roll them out and let them dry on both sides and then stack them and, and cut them. That's what we're going to do today. It's an involved process that Windish families have passed down through generations. Becky, for example, was taught how to make noodles by her aunt, and today she packages them for sale. And I used to just go by look. That's how Aunt Clara did it. She didn't really have a recipe. You just put a flour ring on the table and put your eggs and salt in there and mix it up with a fork and fold it in until it became what looked like the right consistency. And I can remember when we were children uh, draping them over a broomstick. But while Becky takes great care to grind her own wheat into flour, she long ago embraced the convenience of a machine to make her batches and is awed by those skilled enough to make noodles by hand. And I don't know how they did it because I've done it and it's not easy. I could never make and sell noodles the way that they hand cut them and made them for celebrations. The man tasked with cooking the noodles for today's celebration is volunteer Mike Moss. Standing under an open tin roof shed before three massive simmering steel cauldrons, he stirs a batch with a long wooden paddle and tells me about his process while a crew of friends look on. We started cooking the water for the noodles at 5 o'clock. Takes about an hour and 20 minutes to get the pots hot. And then you get the water boiling and then you put the soup base in there. And then you put parquet or unsalted butter. But you put three of them for 60 pounds of noodles and a little bit of salt and get it boiling and then you dump all the noodles in at one time. 
and boil it for about 17 minutes. And then you stir it one more time and you put the lid on it. And we've got six, 60 pounds of noodles goes in each one of those big pots. And how did you end up with this job? That's a damn good question. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a damn good question. When we come back, we'll find out how Mike Moss came to stir the noodle pot, and we'll learn more about how to make a Wendish noodle. But first... Lodge cast iron is a favorite among home cooks and chefs across the South. That's because their American-made cast iron helps bring great recipes to life, whether you're cooking over a campfire, grill, in the oven, or on a stovetop. Feed a crowd with a classic cast iron Dutch oven, or fry something new in an iconic skillet. And for all the pan fans out there, the Lodge Museum of Cast Iron helps you celebrate Southern cooking, culture, and foodways. Enjoy a day trip to beautiful South Pittsburgh, Tennessee, to visit the world's largest cast iron skillet and shop in the Lodge Factory Store. Go to lodgecastiron.com to learn more. For their dedication to quality cookware and longtime support of the Gravy Podcast, SFA thanks Lodge. We got uh, we got pork sausage, green beans, noodles, and sauerkraut. Meal to make a Dutchman hop about. Though the cooking at Windish Fest falls on the shoulders of men, the noodles that Mike Moss are stewing were made by a quintet of women who called themselves the Noodle Sisters. A proud group with matching t-shirts, they gather each week in the large linoleum-tiled kitchen of Serban's Windish Heritage Museum to make noodles for purchase. I paid them a visit in advance of today's party, and walking in, am greeted by the sight of multiple racks stacked with noodles that have been set to dry. They'll ultimately be bagged and sold at the museum's gift shop, in grocery stores in nearby towns like Giddings and LaGrange, and online, where I'm told they've shipped as far as California, Iowa, and Pennsylvania. To meet this demand, Mildred Perry tells me they average prepping 165 pounds a week. A couple of weeks ago, we made double batches, and we made like 371 pounds. And that week, we used 96 dozen eggs and uh, over 300 pounds of flour. So that was a lot of eggs and a lot of flour and a lot of work. At this, Judy Boriak calls me over to her side so I can watch as she pours a batch of eggs and flour into their machine. After it mixes, she presses a button, stands at the ready with a pair of scissors, and trims as noodles start churning out. From there, they travel a short distance on a conveyor belt, where they're met at the end by a pair of sisters tasked with spreading them out over a screened board. Unlike hearty German spetzel or thick egg noodles, these short, gentle creations are almost spaghetti-like in width and consistency. But Jack's wife, Marion Wiederhold, assures me they're not to be confused with pasta. So I ask her, what is a Windish noodle? A Windish noodle is a regular noodle made by Windish ladies. <laughs> uh, and it's also it, the way they're prepared. Uh, Windish noodles are cooked in chicken broth and uh, with butter, and they, they keep the broth in there so the noodles are absorb the broth and they don't pour it off. Instead of guarding their secrets, Marion tells me they're happy to coach most anyone through this practice. We've had people call and want the recipe, and then they, they go into great detail. Okay, now do you do this? Do you do that? And um, 
we try to explain to them exactly how we cook them and <laughs> how we make them. For Marion, sharing this work and information is important, as these noodles connect her to her Windish roots, which weren't always acknowledged growing up. I think we knew it growing up in school, and but at that time we were kind of discouraged from being Windish because we were supposed to be Americans. And uh, so we lost a lot of our traditions at that time. But noodle making always kept going. <laughs> That's one of the things we always did. But, um... While noodles have remained staples of the Texas winds, it's true that many of their traditions have faded with time. But one person I meet at Windish Fest who's doing his part to recover some is Weldon Merziowski. The leader of today's pageant, which features a reenactment of a Windish wedding procession, he's dressed for his part in a top hat tied with green ribbons and dark suit covered in a white sash with a large flower mum. Well, I'm wearing the traditional outfit for a, or costume for a Windish broshka. I learned from him that long ago, the broshka would deliver oral wedding invitations, negotiate dowries, and lead the bride and groom to and from the church. And then he was a master of ceremonies at the wedding party, and he would keep the party rolling. I strike up a conversation with Weldon after he greets me in the meal line with a hearty dobrijen, which I learn is Windish for hello. He tells me he grew up in Houston with no exposure to the language, but he's learning it now. Stroeschi means to your health, that's when you're drinking with somebody, or you can say yache viju, uh, I see you, yache swishu, I hear you, yache uh, Lubo you, I love you. Our language lesson is interrupted when the line we're standing in moves forward and lunch is served. I fill my plate with sausage, sauerkraut, beets, green beans, and of course, a healthy serving of noodles. I find an empty space at a picnic table, and with the pivo flowing, the party kicks into high gear. But while Windish Fest today boasts an impressive attendance, its roots can be traced to a small group of women named Frida Wendland, Laura Zock, Lily Merba Caldwell, Emma Winshee, and Gertrude Mitschke. I learned them from the Texas Windish Heritage Society's president, Richard Gretzner, who told me they came together in the early 70s when the Institute of Texan Cultures announced they'd be hosting the first Texas Folklife Festival in San Antonio. The, these Windish ladies, they were still proud winds. They wanted that recognized and... Uh, they wanted to display, you know, what they knew about the culture. But when told by the Institute that in order to participate, they needed to have a formal nonprofit designation, these women took immediate action. So they formed the Windish Culture Club, and they went down there and did that. They made noodles and cooked food and, you know, talked to people and everything and just kind of got the ball rolling, and the, the Windish Society has been at every folklife festival that's been held since then, so... By simply taking noodles to San Antonio, that original group started a movement whose efforts led to the building of the museum, founding of Windish Fest, and more. And considering this, you could even say that beyond sustaining the belly, these noodles helped sustain an entire identity. They did something wonderful. They saved a culture. Uh, they saved the identity of the winds that came to Texas because it was it was being lost. It was had been assimilated into the German culture and then into the English culture, and they stopped a death of a culture. And uh, we're proud to continue the tradition. In Serban, 
That tradition is on full display on the fourth Saturday in September, and in every serving of noodles, which, even after generations, Mike Moss says they're still working to get just right. And what's the secret to a perfect batch of noodles? We ain't got one of them yet. We're still practicing. Honest. Evan Stern produced and reported this episode of Gravy. He is the host and creator of Vanishing Postcards. Named one of the best podcasts of 2022 by Digital Trends, its current season is centered on Route 66. You can find Vanishing Postcards wherever you listen to podcasts. An actor, singer, and sixth-generation Texan, Evan first gained national attention at age 11 by finishing second in Austin's famed O. Henry pun-off. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> we thank Wendell Patrick for Gravy's theme music, Jazar for our donor music. Special thanks for this episode go to fact-checker Katie King and editor Olivia Terenzio. Managing editor for Gravy and all other SFA media is my co-host, Sarah Camp Milam. Mary Beth Lassiter is our publisher. Visit us at southernfoodways.org to travel just 31 miles up the road from Serban to Elgin, Texas, and watch Dial S for Sausage, SFA's profile of Southside Market and its hot gut sausages. Trust us, they're much better than they sound. After watching that film or listening to this podcast, please consider becoming a member or making a donation. Your dollars fund our work and... Help us make more gravy.